Alright, this song's uh, Everlasting God. How long, O Lord, until your justice comes? <laughs> until things are made right? but the chorus is pretty easy. So we'll do the chorus first.
and then this one's a uh, shout to the Lord. He's our Savior. There's nothing like Him. No one like Him. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like all of my days, I want to praise the wonders of my My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge, let every breath, all that I thank you that you're good. We thank you that um, you are the creator, that um, you have uh, just made this beautiful world in which we live, that we can enjoy and give the praise back to you. Father, we thank you that you've loved us, that you sent your son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. Uh, and it's in his name that we pray, and it's him that we worship this evening. I pray for Charlie as he brings a message from the word. I pray that you just bless uh, um, the preaching of your word. You say that the, your word never goes forth void. We thank you for that promise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. And uh, I want to read today the 136th Psalm. Now, this is not a psalm that I would normally read uh, simply because it's not my thing to do this, but it is what's known as a responsive psalm. I say something and then you say something. Let me get my page open. Okay, what I'm going to do is I am going to say something, and then all you need today is say is this, and you know, just kind of mumble it out as best you can. It's not a lot of words, but if you don't get it, uh, it's okay. For his mercy endures forever. All right, that's what I want you to say. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. 
to him who by wisdom made the heavens, to him who laid out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule by day, the moon and the stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn and brought out Israel from among them with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and slew famous kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage a heritage to Israel, his servant, who remembered us in our lowly state and rescued us from our enemies, who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. And surely his mercy does endure forever. Today we are going to be speaking on Genesis chapter 5, 1 through 32. We're going to do something as yet unprecedented in our uh, study of the Bible. We're going to do an entire chapter in a single day. So I suppose most of you here have heard of the rapture. Has anybody here not heard of the rapture? Okay, everybody has. And I would guess that some of you even know without looking that the rapture verses are, anybody? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Revelation 4.1, what's that? Daniel, that's an Old Testament. I was going to bring that up. She beat me to it. I was going to say that I imagine there are some people here that don't know that the rapture is actually prefigured in the Old Testament. Not in Daniel specifically, but there are a couple places. Pardon me? No, not the rapture. But uh, one of those times is in chapter 5 of the book of Genesis. And it's right in a line of names that comes right with the names and ages of the sons of Adam and his descendants. After the fall and the record of Cain and Abel, which we talked about last week, we had the fall, then we had uh, Cain killing Abel, and then we had uh, Cain's genealogy last week. After these things, the first nine generations of Adam are recorded in Genesis chapter 5, and they end with the 10th generation, which is Noah. The flood of Noah came in the year 16. 56 Anno Mundi, or after the year of creation. And other than Genesis 1 through 5, nothing is recorded for that entire period of time. It is completely lost to human history. And believe it or not, there could have been as many as a billion or even billions of people alive at that time before the flood. And that to me is actually a very sad commentary on how things went, because out of the billion or billions of people that lived, only 27 people are named by name in these five chapters. All the rest were lost to the ever-consuming flame of time. We looked at the line of Cain, as I said, in Genesis 4, and in Genesis 5 today we are going to look at the godly line of Seth. And so it's kind of propitious that we happen to have uh, Seth playing the guitar here. He just happened to show up on the right day for his uh, namesake. But uh, this line will eventually lead to the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here is our text verse for today. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's 2 Corinthians 6.16. So may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. We have our first point today, which is in the image of God. Verse 1 says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. The word genealogy here in Hebrew is the word toledot, the genealogy of Adam. 
Toledot. And one of the most interesting studies I personally have ever done is on this word Toledot, which is also translated as generations in some Bibles. The first time that this word is used is in Genesis 2, verse 4, and it says this. These are the generations, or the Toledot, of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This word Toledot in Genesis 2, 4 is speaking of man while he was still in the Garden of Eden. And it's spelled this way in Hebrew. And I don't want to confuse you, but pay attention how it's spelled. It is spelled Tav, Vav, Dalet, Lamed, Vav, Tav. There are six letters in it, and two of them are Vavs. In the other words that are there, there are, or in this particular word, there are two Tavs in it. The next time that this particular word is used is right here in Genesis 5.1, after the fall of man, and it is spelled with only one vav. The second vav fell out of the word just as man fell out of the garden. Vav is the sixth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and it is pictured by a tent peg. Each of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet have a picture. This one is a tent peg. And it is also the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the sixth, the number six in the Bible is representative of man throughout the Bible, such as man being created on the sixth day of creation. Or if you know in, uh, what is it, Revelation 13, I believe, it says the number of the beast is 666, or the perfectly wicked man. Six throughout the Bible then is very consistent being the number of man. The word vav, or the letter vav, as I said, is right there, and you can see, with that one missing out of the Toledot, fallen man is what is being relayed in this second word. The word Toledot is used 39 times in the Old Testament at various times in referring to various people, but it is never spelled again with two tovs until the end of the book of Ruth. In every single occurrence between Genesis 2-4 and Ruth at the end of it, one or both of the tubs is missing. And so the question you have to ask, because this is part of God's word, is why is it that not until the end of the book of Ruth is that second vav reinserted? If anybody knows the book of Ruth, at the very end there are these 10 verses that are, you don't even know why they're there. It, they seem to have nothing to do with the story, but what they do is they give a genealogy. They give 10 names from uh, uh, Perez, the son of Tamar, down to King David. And there is where the second tub is reintroduced. Up until that time, there was uh, all of these people coming up to King David through the lineage of the godly line of Seth down to Jesus. God was working through various people and at various times making covenants with them until this time. Some of these people are Noah, Abraham, and Moses. And the final covenant was to David. There are four covenants that are actually mentioned there in the Bible. At this time, the second tov was reintroduced into the word Toledot to indicate that the restoration of fallen man would come through the line of David. And this was the final peg in the tent of God's covenants before the coming Christ. If you were born again through Jesus Christ, you are no longer fallen, but you are complete and you will live forevermore. The likeness of God that was lost right there at the creation was restored. That likeness was given back to us when we call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what these little things that are hidden in the Bible text mean. And in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul explains this particular mystery. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you this verse and I'm going to insert my own thoughts into the middle of this verse. So try to differentiate the Bible in his words. It says here, as was the earthly man, that is, the fallen man, the man without the tov, so are those who are of the earth. In other words, there is something missing from us since the time of the fall. And as is the man from heaven, meaning Jesus Christ, which is full and complete, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, which is fallen, which is earthly, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven, which means we will be restored and complete, pictured by this second vav being reintroduced at the time of King David. I don't know if any of these things excite you, but I got to tell you, it's these little details in the Bible that to me are sweeter 
than honey to my taste. Absolutely. Verse 2, he created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. This verse and verse 1 that I just read you a moment ago are echoes, if you remember, from the creation account. They have been reintroduced right here at the beginning of the godly line of Seth to show us our fallen state. We were created in original perfection, but the death and the trials which came about at the fall were caused by our own violation of God's will, and they did not happen accidentally. Man wasn't, and then he was. Adam had no earthly parents, but he was created by God on the sixth day of creation with his woman, and then God blessed them. Because they were created in God's image at that time, they had no natural evil, they had no moral evil. These came about after the fall, out drops the tub, and we're waiting for this restoration. The next verses, I'll go back before I do though, verses one and two, remember said that, that man was created in God's image, and that was placed there to alert us to the fact that we were created in God's image, but what we are gonna read from this point on shows man not in God's image completely. We do bear God's image, but it's in a different way now. In verse three, and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Thank you for being here today, Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth was born in the year 130 Anno Mundi, or from creation, and his name means appointed. Just as Seth had a divine appointment today to bring him here to the beach and to play the music for us. There's no mistaking God's workings. These three verses that I just read, read to you, they tell us lots of things. It begins, the record of the age of the earth. Adam was created on the sixth day of creation, and I believe 100% that it is a literal sixth day days that he created the heavens and the earth. In other words, when Adam was six days old, or I'm sorry, on the sixth day of creation, Adam was created, and then his son, Seth, was born in the year 130. And as we follow these genealogies all the way throughout the Bible, we can determine the age of the world. And I can tell you, we are coming preciously close to the year 6,000. I can tell you that just by reading my Bible. During those 130 years, Adam had Cain, he had Abel, and he had at least one daughter. And we know this because Cain had a wife. It's likely, though, that Adam had lots and lots of other children by this time, by the time that Seth came along. But Seth is the focus of the story, and no one else bears on the coming Christ. And so that's why he's introduced, and all the other brothers and sisters just simply say he had brothers and sisters or sons and daughters, and then he died. These verses also tell us that Adam had a son in his own image. In other words, the son born to Adam is a fallen man. We didn't revert back to a sinless state, but we bear the fallen image of Adam. There is no such thing as the inner divine spark that other religions like to speak about. We are earthly, we are mortal, and we are sold under sin, which means we are obliged to die. This fallen state then is in each human being since Adam. We know this from these three verses, and we can also tell that Adam's sons are destined to die just as Adam died. He died in the 930th year of his life and in the 930th year from creation. Verse number six, Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Good job, Seth. You lasted a long time there, buddy. Enosh lived 90 years, and he begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. We have a Jared out at uh, Grace Baptist Church. So we've got a Seth and we've got a Jared. We've got them both right here in the Bible. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 
830 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. We just read through 12 verses. This is more combined verses at any one time since we started our tour of Genesis. If we keep up this pace that I did right here, right now, we can be done with Revelation chapter 22, verse 21 in the year 2097. So please be here every single Sunday until then. Here are a few facts about these four men. Seth died in the year 1042 Anno Mundi. Enosh was born in the year 235 and he died in the year 1140. His name means mortal. Canaan was born in the year 325, and he died in the year 1235. His name means possession. Mahalalel was born in the year 395, he died in the year 1290, and his name means praise of God. Jared was born in the year 460, and his name means going down. The age-old skepticism that you hear about the Bible finds no greater place to begin than right in the verses that I just read. Who lives to 900 years of age? For us, it's simply incredible for us to even try to imagine, and yet we cannot insert our current situation into what it might have been like at a different period in time. The heaviest reptiles on earth, does anybody know what the heaviest reptiles on earth are right now? The monitor lizard, very close. Anybody else? Good, Tom, the Komodo dragon. I knew you'd get it. Komodo dragon, they get to be about 300 pounds. The longest reptiles on earth are? No, what? No, somebody said it over here. Crocodile, the Australian saltwater crocodile gets to be 23 feet in length. If we used the Bible skeptics logic about the age of man in the same way that we do about dinosaurs, their length and their height, then we would never believe they existed. But we have all of the assurance of the archaeological record to support dinosaurs that were just a little bit bigger than they are now. The Bruhath Chiosaurus, which lived in the area of Tamil Nadu, India, grew to 145 feet in length, and it weighed 220 tons. Yes, that's 440,000 pounds. They weighed as much as a Boeing 747. And if we had no bones to prove that, it would be far, far more incomprehensible than somebody living to 900 years of age. The only difference is that we don't have in the archaeological record ages. We don't have footprints like bones for dinosaurs. But man does leave his stories in writing. And this chapter of Genesis happens to mention the book of the genealogy of Adam. The Hebrew term there is sefer. And it indicates that this is a written document which served as the basis for Moses' writings. So I have no problem at all saying that somebody lived to 800, 900 years old. These ages are as they were recorded, and there's nothing deceitful in them. If reptiles grew as big as they did, then the world was obviously a completely different ecosystem than it is right now. Before the flood, things were simply different. The world was probably smaller in size, and it had a higher atmospheric pressure, which would have led to longer lives. And there was also, as we discussed way back there in Genesis 1, the canopy over the earth, which is known in Hebrew as the rekia. And it was probably crystalline in nature. This would have kept out any harmful electromagnetic radiation or solar radiation or anything else that comes in and degrades our body today. So all things in context and all things considered, there is no reason at all to dismiss this account and every reason to believe it. Yes, in fact, people live to be 900 years of age. It's even more certain that the account is true because after the flood, the ages of people start to go down and down and down, getting progressively shorter until they finally reached a set point, which has remained almost unchanged now for three, almost 4,000 years, about 3,000 years. The Jewish historian Josephus says this about the sons of Adam from Seth to Noah at the time of the flood. But let no one, upon comparing the lives of the ancients with our lives and with the few years which we now live, think that what we have said of them is false or make the shortness of our lives at present an argument. Josephus goes on to claim that the astronomical calculations and the discoveries used at his time came from men who could live long enough to accurately understand the greater cycles of the universe. If this is true, 
than the highly advanced star charts that we see in antiquity, such as what the Mayans used, can be attributed to the careful work of these pre-flood people. Now, whether any of this is true or not, all we have is Josephus to state it. But the Bible does bear out right there in Genesis 1 that the stars and the other heavenly lights were meant for our knowledge in signs and in seasons. And that brings us to our second thought today, which is walking with God. And I'm going to do something before I get into this point that's a little off the uh, sermon track. But I want to tell you that uh, Sergio is the one that tapes these each and every week. And what he does is he cuts off all of the announcements. He cuts off most of the songs and he may throw in a a blessing or he may throw in one song or the communion. But uh, people that watch this particular uh, church on the beach usually outnumber the people that show up here around the world. There's people all over the world. As a matter of fact, I sent a birthday wish to somebody just yesterday morning. And it's a guy I never see on Facebook at all. And he came back and he said, Charlie, thank you for the birthday wish. And he says, I'm so thankful that you have these on the internet and that you're posting them. I watch them all the time. And so because there's people out there that are watching this and because we're going to talk about walking with God, I want to bring up my own particular issue of walking with God that everybody here at the beach already knows is that I am looking in my life to have a church to work at. And I would like it to be in Sarasota, Florida. But fortunately, Seth is out here today, and I wanted to bring him up as well so that the people that are watching this can also pray for Seth because Seth is also looking for a church. And he's not peculiar if he stays in Sarasota or anywhere else in the nation, but he is looking for a church to uh, pastor. And uh, so in our attempt to walk with God and bring him the glory that he's due, I'm mentioning this right now so that anybody that watches this online can also pray that, you know, the Lord will lead the both of us and we will be able to perform our walk with God to his glory and to the benefit of the people wherever they are where we eventually are pastors of a church in addition to church on the beach which I have no desire to give up at all anyway enough of that on to verse number 18 Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch after he begot Enoch Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters so all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. So if anybody sees Jared at Grace Baptist, please tell him that uh, at least his namesake lived 962 years, but he is going to die. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Jared died in the year 1422 Anamundi Enoch was born in the year 622 Anno Mundi, and he was translated to heaven directly without dying in 987. His name means teaching. Methuselah was born in the year 687, and his name means his death shall bring. Literally, it means man of the dart, but for us in our translation, his death shall bring. Of the 10 people that are mentioned from Adam down to Noah, only four of them have any particular information beyond their birth, their years of life, and their age at death. These four are Adam, Enoch, Lamech, and Noah. In the case of Enoch, this strange verse is all that we have. It says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. If this was all that we had recorded about Enoch, we would certainly be left scratching our heads, in my case, my bald head, wondering exactly what this meant. But fortunately, we have Enoch mentioned 10 times throughout the Bible. He's mentioned six times right here in the Genesis account. And then after that, he's mentioned in the book of 1 Chronicles, in the chronicle of the history of man from Adam all the way to the time of the Jewish society of that day. He is also mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Luke chapter 3, And finally, he is mentioned two more times in the New Testament. Can anybody name the two books of the Bible that he's mentioned in? What's that? Anybody? The two books of the New Testament he's mentioned in. One of them is Hebrews and the other is Jude. Did you say Jude? Okay, he did. So we got one of them over here. Seth got that right. So Hebrews and Jude, he's mentioned in the New Testament. Let's read what it says about Enoch, this mysterious figure in the book of Hebrews. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Here in the book of Hebrews, we learn details about Enoch that were withheld from the Old Testament. Enoch was taken away. He was translated directly from the earthly realm right up to the heavenly realm, and he saw no death. This means that Enoch was only one of two people in the entire history of the world to not see death. Who's the other one? Elijah the prophet. So we have Enoch and we have Elijah that never saw death. And both of these men are right now serving the Lord of creation. And it is those two people who I believe, I personally believe that they have showed up many, many times in Bible history with the Lord. You'll see the Lord walking with two people. You'll see two people on each side of a river. You'll see two people at the ascension. You see two people here and two people there. And I believe that this is the two people that are mentioned. You'll see them in Daniel chapter 12. You see them, as I said, Acts chapter 1. You see them in the book of Zechariah. And I personally believe that they are the two people that will return during the tribulation period, which is recorded in Revelation chapter 11 as the two witnesses. It's my personal opinion. The Bible asks this rhetorical question in the book of Amos. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? The answer is, of course not. In order to walk with God as Enoch did, God must have agreed to his walk. In Malachi, when speaking of Levi, it says this, my covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave, to the, gave them to him so that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned away many from iniquity. Enoch, like Levi, walked with God because he was truthful, he was just, and he walked in peace and equity with his God. But above all, he walked with God in faith. So like bookends on the Hebrew scriptures, the person who walks properly with God is mentioned in the first book of Genesis, in the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi. It is such a person that God loves and if you ever want to do, this is my personal recommendation to you, if you ever want to do a wonderful study about just being right with God, how to do it, simply do an internet search on your Bible search engine and type in the word walk and read all 384 times that the word walk is mentioned. And there, I assure you, you will find vast treasure concerning how to live and move in the presence of God, walking in his ways and walking in his statutes. Something interesting also about Enoch walking with God is in the Hebrew, it does not say that he walked with God, but that he walked with the God or Ha Elohim in Hebrew. This is the very first time of about 400 times that this particular term is used in the Bible. And this statement, Ha Elohim, walking with the God, separates Enoch as a man who walked rightly with the one true God. It implies that the others had forsaken the God that they couldn't see and they did not want to believe in. But Enoch held fast to the teachings of his ancestors by faith and he held to his personal convictions about this unseen God. He was translated because of this and the Bible promises a similar event for faithful believers right now who put their hope in Jesus Christ. Do I really I asked this question in Bible study this morning. Do I really believe that millions of people are just going to suddenly disappear one day? And the answer is absolutely yes. It doesn't matter if it's one person. It doesn't matter if it's millions of people. God is fully capable of keeping every single promise just as his word declares. The last time that Enoch is mentioned, Seth brought it up. It's in the book of Jude. Let's see what it says to have to say about there. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude added in one more final important detail about Enoch. This man was a prophet. Within just a few hundred years after the creation of the world, men of God spoke the word of God to a group of people who were very quickly running astray in a world that is completely consumed by the devil. Verse 25, Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, 
Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Methuselah died in the year 1656 Anno Mundi. I brought that uh, year up a little while ago. Does anybody remember what I said about 1656? What? Oh, good, good girl, Hedekel. My wife got it. It was, she didn't. I just, I'm giving her credit for it. It was the year of the flood. And Lamech was born in the year 874, and his name means captive. Now, you've probably heard this saying about some old codger. He's as old as Methuselah. When I was young, my mother used to say that. I remember her saying it. Well, here is where the saying comes from. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. He is the oldest person ever recorded in the annals of history. Doesn't mean he's the oldest person ever lived, but he is the oldest recorded person in the annals of history. His name was a prophecy of the coming destruction of the world. His name means his death shall bring. Or another translator said, when he is dead, it shall be sent. However his parents knew, they knew something was coming at the time of his death. The year that he died, the waters came and it destroyed the world by flood. There's another saying about old people. He's as old as dirt. In Methuselah's case, this would actually be true. Unlike his father Enoch, who was translated directly to heaven and never saw death, Methuselah died, and when he died, he returned to the dust that he came from. So he is literally as old as dirt. Death from Methuselah did come slowly, but it came. Jewish writers say that he died seven days before the flood of Noah. By just one week, if that tradition is true, he was spared from the wrath that would come on the entire world. Methuselah, though, is looking forward to exactly the same bright future as the faithful of all ages. That is the great day of hope when Jesus Christ comes and translates us to eternal glory. After Methuselah, the last person to have been born before the death of Adam in this godly line was Lamech. He was born in the year 874 Anno Mundi, and he was the ninth man from Adam. So imagine sitting on your great, 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 great grandpa's lap. That's six greats, a grandpa, and a dad, all sitting in the same room, doting over the same little baby. Technically, that's not true, though, because Enoch had already been translated. But you've got a bunch of proud great, great, great grandparents all looking at this little baby. So here he's just old enough now to sit on Adam's lap, and he says, Grand G, 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 Pa, can you tell me about the day you were put together? Did God really take out one of your ribs to make grand G, 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 Ma, Eve? Is that scar really the spot where he took the rib from? Did you ask for chrome bumpers and fishing pole attachments? Questions like this, though, probably brought back painful memories of Paradise Lost. Life under the sun was not like life under the heavens. Adam was the one who broke the rules, and all he could do was live on day after day, waiting for the final execution of the sentence which had been passed down so many years before. From dust you came, and to dust you shall return. He was promised the dust, and he knew it was exactly where he was going to end. And by the time Adam got there, death was probably a very welcome visitor. Verse 28, Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah saying, this one will comfort us concerning the work of our hand and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. Lamech died in the year 1651 Anno Mundi. Noah was born in the year 1056 and his name means comfort or rest. Eight times in this chapter, the words, and he died, are recorded. And other than Enoch, who went straight to glory, and Noah, who is going to continue on in the chapters to come, all of the men of this godly line from Seth down, including Adam, met their end, and they returned to the soil. Lamech lived to be 777 years old, and he died in the year 1651, which is in the fifth year before the flood came. Other than his grandpa Enoch, who was translated at 365 years of age, he has the shortest lifespan of any of these patriarchs. The 777 years of his life are a testament to the divine grace of being taken home before the coming destruction. And Isaiah gives us a clue as to why these things happen. 
He says this about the death of those who live for God. The righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into his peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. And that brings us to the, the thought that sometimes a, a child will die and we don't understand why that is. Or we lose a close friend right at the prime of life and we say, why did this happen? And we don't understand it, but God does. And it's possible that God simply looked into the future of this human being and he saw some evil that would otherwise have happened to them. And instead of allowing that to happen to them, he mercifully took them home because of their righteousness. As with all things, and I mean with all things, if we can truly trust God and if we can accept that he is sovereign, then we can rest easy in his plan, this perfect plan, which he is executing for the people he's created and the people he's called. In the case of the rapture, many sons will come to glory in the twinkling of an eye, whether they have gone before us waiting to be wakened from their grave or whether they're still walking along the highway of life right at that moment. When that trumpet sounds, we will forever be living in his glorious presence. We will be perfectly content and we will be praising the God who rescued us from ourselves. In this account, it tells us why Lamech named his son Noah. This one will comfort us, comfort us concerning the work of our hand and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. The name Noah, as I said, means specifically rest or comfort. Lamech was only 182 years old when he had Noah, but he was already worn out from the toilsome existence of life. The curse which came at the beginning and it continued on year after long year and generation after generation was wearing him out. More especially though, it is likely that this name Noah is an anticipation of what he would be, just as the name of Methuselah was a prophecy. As we saw, Methuselah's name meant his death shall bring. And because of the timing of Noah's life in conjunction with the life of Methuselah, we can make the assumption that his parents might have thought that he would be the promised Messiah who would give them the rest that they had been waiting for. If you remember Hebrews 4.3, it says, in him, when we trust in him, we enter his rest. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. And they may have been thinking that we are going to enter the rest of our Messiah. Man was promised a deliverer who would destroy the devil that would return him to God's rest. And the naming of Noah may have anticipated that hope. And that brings us to our third and final thought today, God with man. And Noah was 500 years old. This is verse 32. And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem means name or fame. Ham means passion or hot. And Japheth means enlargement or widely extending. This is the final verse of chapter five and it sets the tone for the coming account. Noah had three sons starting in his 500th year. Shem is listed first, but he is not the firstborn. It was somebody else. It says in Genesis 11, that Shem was 102 years after the flood. And if Noah had his first son at 500 years of age, then the firstborn must have been Japheth, not Shem. And we know this, that it wasn't the third son, Ham, because later in Genesis 9, he is called the youngest of the three sons. So we can know for certain that Shem was not the firstborn. Already in this traveling through the Bible, we've seen one favored son already. We've seen Abel, whose offering was accepted when Cain's wasn't. He was killed by Cain and he was replaced by another son, Seth, who became the head of the line of God's chosen people. This second favored son, Shem, who was put ahead of his older brother, Japheth, was put there for a reason. And it is Shem who is the one that is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This pattern is going to continue throughout the entire Bible right to the very end. And it pictures both the work of Jesus and it sets the tone for the doctrine known as, does anybody know what doctrine this sets the tone for? The second replacing the first? It's called divine election. It sets the tone for divine election. And you will see this happening again and again and again. For those that are in the Genesis class, you'll see how many we've already seen and we're not even out of Genesis. And we probably have 10 names of people where the second son supplants the first in one way or another. Esau is replaced by Jacob. 
and uh, Isaac replaces Ishmael. And you're going to see this all the way through the Bible. And this is the doctrine of divine election. This is God sovereignly choosing something for his own purpose and his own plan. And these things are met in the most curious of ways. So when you're reading your Bible, when you are reading your Bible, not if, pay attention to these type of patterns and you will be able to more clearly see the workings of God in human history. How can we be certain of, or should I say, how certain can we be of the doctrine of divine election? Let's read what Paul says in the book of Acts chapter 17. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible are right here in chapter 17. It says, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the set times for them and the exact places where they should live. God chooses the exact time and the exact place where each human being will live in order to give them the most perfect opportunity possible to seek him out and to bring him glory. And why does he do this? The verse continues, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. This is how God works with his wayward children. He is ever-present and he is working in the most effective way to reach out to us and to bring us to the glorious rest that these ancients so patiently waited for. So let us not fail to respond to his call and to tell others because you are in the perfect place in human history to meet somebody today or to meet somebody on the highway of your life and tell them about Jesus Christ. God has preordained these things for his glory and for our benefit. I've got something to read you here. When Adam was 130, he had a son named Seth. Hi, Seth. A son in his own likeness in his image too. It was another 800 years until he reached his death. But before he died, his great, 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 great grandson, Lamech, had come along too. Seth continued on for a spell, and then he had Enosh. This was when he was a babe of just 105. At 912 years of age, he kicked the can, by gosh. But by then, there were seven more generations alive. Enosh, whose name means mortal, had a son named Canaan. This happened when Enosh was only 90. Oh, my! Enosh finally bit the dust in the year 1140 after 905 long years of life passed by. Canaan was just 70 when along came Mahalalel. This special name means praise of God. In the year 1235, they were ringing Canaan's funeral bell while Mahalalel continued on the earth to trod. Mahalalel was younger still when he had Jared, his son. He was only, some, only 65, some might say a scandal. His ticker kept on ticking till 895 years were done, and then the pallbearer grabbed Mahalalel's casket handle. His son Jared was a much more patient guy. He didn't have a son until 162 years passed by. But then Enoch came along. Teaching means his name, and Jared taught him well because Enoch walked with God. Even before Jared died, Enoch received great fame when he was translated to glory, heavenly streets to trod. Before he got raptured up, Enoch had Methuselah. This guy lasted right up to the flooding year. He got to watch Noah build his ark, hallelujah, and know that the future of man was still secure. Methuselah waited until the age of 187. Then he had a son. Lamech was his name. At years of 969, Methuselah was bound for heaven, and his record age has brought him eons of fame. Lamech's name means the captive, something that resembles us all. It's a trait that everyone carries ever since the fall. And a son came to Lamech, a son to ease the toil. He was 182 when Noah finally came around, a son to work the stubborn, angry soil, a son to help till the clods of the ground. Lamech breathed his last at the age of 777, five years before the flood would destroy the earth. Someday we'll meet him on the streets of heaven if we first receive the promised new birth. God has a plan, and it's written right in these names, a plan that tells us of the coming of his son. Even the wildest heart Jesus readily tames. The gospel story tells us that the victory is won. 
Now, I want to see if anybody here paid attention during the sermon. I saw a lot of people nodding off back there and some drooling on the table, but I want to see who paid attention. I gave you the list of the 10 names from Adam down to Noah. I'm giving you two of them right now. I want to see if anybody can give me those names in order without looking. Okay, I'm going to make it a little sweeter. Think about this. I want to see if any of you can tell me not only what their names are, but what the meaning of their names is. If you can give me the names of the people and the meaning, because I've given it to you, I'll give you $10. Now, I'm going to make it sweeter. Think about it yet. If you can give me the year that they were born, because I gave everybody here the year that they were born, I will throw in $100. And I'll give you one more sweetening. If you can tell me their names, their translations, the year they were born, and the year that they died, I will give you $1,000. That's $1,110 if anybody can do this. No? I knew nobody was paying attention. I want to give you just the names and just the translations. And I want you to listen very carefully. Very carefully. If you listen to my last stanza of my poem one more time, listen to what it says. God has a plan and it's written in these names. A plan that tells the coming of his son. Even the wildest heart, Jesus readily tames. The gospel story tells us that the victory is won. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. And their names mean, in order, man appointed mortal possession, praise of God, descending, teaching his death shall bring the captive rest. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, was appointed. He was Seth. He was appointed by God to become a mortal, a man who could die, the name Enosh so that we could become the recipients of the promised possession or Canaan of eternal life to the praise or Mahalalel of God. He descended from heaven, Jared, from heaven, for the purpose of teaching or Enoch. His death is what released the captives or the Lamech and has given them the rest, the Noah promised since the beginning of time when man fell out of the garden. The name of these people were selected by God, divine election, so that God could display the gospel story in these 10 names in the godly line of Seth. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, today we are standing in your presence and we are looking at your word and it is glorious, it is beautiful, it is precious. And I would pray that anybody that is listening or that is here today that has never called on Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior will understand that they are sinners, that they have committed an offense against you, which is an eternal offense because you are an infinite and we are finite. And so we are infinitely separated from you. But Jesus Christ came and he gave his life on the cross. He descended out of heaven. He taught us. He gives the captives rest by being our substitute for the wrath that we rightfully deserve. And then God takes his righteousness and he gives it to us in exchange for his wrath on his own son. And that is the gospel story. That is the message of the Bible. And if anybody here has never truly accepted that into their heart and asked for forgiveness of their sins, I would pray that they do that right now and that they would be forever reconciled to the God that loves us enough to give us these beautiful passages in your word. I thank you and I praise you in the glorious and the exalted name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Can I have you come help me today?
just a minute and I'll give you something to carry around. No, come on up here. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see the instructions for the communion, the bread and the, the wine, and how we are to handle it and what we're to do and how it's explained. And so here's what Paul wrote there. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and he gave thanks. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us bread from the earth. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melecha olam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. And he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper and he blessed it. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melecha Olam Borei Pari Hagafen. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And he goes down in a few verses and he says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So let's take a moment. Let's think about what we've done in the past week, which has separated us from our God and which needs to be restored through just simple confession and praising him and asking for us to, to be reunited with him in this communion. And then let's take the bread and remember that Jesus Christ's body really was broken on the cross. He really was nailed to that cross and he really, really died for each one of us. And his blood really was shed in seven ways. The gospel accounts show us where the blood came out of his body to purge us of our sin and to cleanse us of our iniquity. So let's remember this as we take the body and the blood. in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Okay, once again, I got a reminder for you that if you would like, we'll be over at the pub having burgers here in just a couple minutes. And uh, if anybody wants to come, please just come on over. If you can't make it, that's fine. And uh, I was talking to Hidako last week, and I asked her if she liked those poems I wrote at the end of every sermon. She kind of seemed confused about the whole thing. But 
I like to do those because I take the entire sermon and I put it in something that helps people to remember what we talked about. So I hope you like those. It actually takes about as long as doing the whole sermon to type the things up. But I really like doing that every time. So anyway, that's why I do it. And I hope that they bless you. And I hope you're learning something. And I'm very disappointed in you as a, a congregation today, not remembering the things that I asked. <laughs> I, yes, I did. And I, <laughs> I did cheat a little bit. Anyway, let's go ahead and say the blessing. And then we'll go ahead and depart and uh, head our separate ways. And uh, I just ask that the Lord would take all of you home safely and bring you back here again next week safely. And remember, if we keep going as we're going, 2097 will be done. Don't miss a week. It's a great story. I can tell you it ends very well. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Yeberechecha Adonai beishmerecha. Ya'er Adonai Panav Eliecha Vikuneka, Isa Adonai Panav Eliecha Veyasem Lecha Shalom. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, wonderful music, you guys.